episode 165 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to figure out which smoke detector is making that beeping noise. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about boxes. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, Desktop Hebocon Battle Kit and The Cupid Crisis. Then, we share our thoughts on the receptacles that hold our board games. And now, here are your hosts, Camby and Crystal. Recently, I got to play Desktop Hebocon Battle Kit, which had been on my want to playlist for a long time. I am so stoked that you got to play this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I actually bought this. So Desktop Hebocon Battle Kit, published in 2017 by Pen and Dice, which is a Japanese publishing company designed by Roy Nambu. It's a like patchwork mixed with Robo Rally and some real time in there. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's, that's a really good description of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I like polyomino spatial games and I like the theme of this, which is that the Hibikons are like, is a Japanese type of robot, kind of like BattleBots, but they're like purposely bad. It's like crappy robots is what they're called. And so um, they're like purposely bad. And and so the theme the theme of this game is you're building your own Hibikon and battling them with the other people. I actually got to buy it at KublaCon, our local convention, because there was a booth there in the exhibit hall that had like a bunch of different Japanese games. They're like importing Japanese games. And I saw it. I was like, oh, yes, I've been wanting to play this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so anyways, I played it once now. The way the game works is you have a patchwork type board. So patchwork is a polyomino game where you're getting uh, different polyomino pieces and placing them on your board so in this game you're taking pieces one at a time but you're stacking them on top of each other until everyone has nine pieces and you can't like look at what you have so you kind of have to remember what you got and each piece has different shape and it also has like a movement on there which is what the robot will be able to do (laughs) different movements so as you're taking the piece you're trying to like take pieces that will fit on your board but also like movements that you want your robot to do in the future after you take all the pieces then there's like a real-time phase where everyone is placing the pieces on their board and you don't have to put all your pieces on the board you're just like putting them on the board as they fit but the ones that are on the, on the board are the only ones that you're going to be able to use for your robot for the battle in the next round. It's kind of like real time because the first person who finishes starts a one minute timer and then that's how long everyone gets to finish their board. And the crappy robot part comes in. You get scored based on your board. You get like as many points as the numbers of squares you covered. But if you've completed the whole board, then your robot is too good. So you get negative like eight points or something. <laughs> So, so you don't want your robot to be too good, <laughs> which is, I think the theme is great. The theme is <laughs> then, so great, yeah. And then after you do this, then there's there's another board with little robot figures on it. And there's like spaces that you want your robot to get to to get points. And you'll be taking turns having your robot do actions. And so you like do the action that's on your board and that uses up that action space. And like the actions are you can move the robot or you turn your board So like the arrow is going to show which direction the robot moves according to how your board currently is. But then if you do the action of turning your board, then the arrows are pointing in a different way. So uh, you kind of like plan ahead for that too. It's kind of hard. I mean, it's very hard to plan ahead. It's nigh impossible. I mean, I I played this game years ago, but I remember very specifically thinking I had a plan and realizing very quickly I had no plan. Yeah. And then also because other people are also moving and pushing you. So like I actually had the spaces to get to the space that I wanted to get to get points but then I realized like oh if I move here then someone else can push me off and they'll get points for pushing me off and then I'll get eliminated and you want to be the last person or the last robot standing 
in order to get a bunch of points. So so I was like, okay, I, I'm going to not do that because I don't want them to push me off. So I had to like change my what I was doing. But you have to take all of your actions. So sometimes the only action left is that you're going to have to run off the <laughs> the board yourself. <laughs> so you just like, your robot just like <laughs> goes off the edge of the map and dies, um, which is what I did <laughs> because I'd rather do that than have someone else push me off. <laughs> yeah, but, agency. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it gets very chaotic. Like theoretically, if you had a very good memory and were very good with spatial stuff and could plan a lot of stuff out, like you could theoretically plan this out but like in practice it's very hard and gets very chaotic so (laughs) but the game only if i remember correctly (laughs) it's really fast right like a a single game takes like 15 20 minutes tops like that's Mm -hmm. like even with a teach yeah so it says 20 to 40 minutes on on board game week the the drafting part might take a little longer when when you're taking the pieces if people think about that and then there's the, the real time building is real time so everyone's doing that at the same time and that doesn't take very long and then it t- doesn't take very long for your robots to just die. So. <laughs> yeah, that part goes more quickly than you think it will. <laughs> yeah. But it's neat because then like the, yeah. all the randomness doesn't feel as punishing because the game is so quick. Yeah. And it's the mat like, I think it works really well with the theme too, because like, it's supposed to be bad robots. <laughs> like they're supposed to mess up. <laughs> and that works really well with them because you think you can plan it out, but then your plans just go wrong <laughs> so so that works well with the theme of bad robots whereas like in other games that have programming it, it does, it's not purposely a bad robot and then you feel like oh why did it do badly <laughs> does the game if i remember correctly does it come with actual like metal nuts and bolts oh, or yes. whatever yes it does so this it comes in like in a relatively small box it's very compact um, <laughs> and but it's so heavy because these it has these metal nuts that you use for the action so like when when you do one of your robot actions you place it place a metal nut onto the space and then that also signifies the rounds and so there's a lot of metal nuts and it's very heavy (laughs) physically like weight heavy (laughs) not like mental i mean it could be mentally heavy but like yeah weight physically heavy for a small box it is yeah yeah, a small bag it is very dense I, well, these all these words are also used to. to yeah, mean, I know, like, right? I, I can see you on your face. You're like every single word I can use to describe <laughs> physical weight also describes mental weight, and therefore, yeah, like pounds or kilograms is heavy. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, that's desktop Hibicon battle kit. Well, I am going to tell you all about a game I recently played, but I'm not going to tell you too much about it because spoilers. So you all have heard me talk in the past about the 18 card escape room games from Grand Gamers Guild, and I got to try another one of them. And, you know, it does seem very, very timely that we just entered September and I played a Valentine's Day themed one. (laughs) (laughs) So good, good timing on my part for that. So, yes, this is the cupid crisis in the line of escape room games from grand gamers guild they have all of these holiday themed games and i have played Mm -hmm. almost all of the ones that they've released the newest one is the birthday burglary and i haven't played Mm -hmm. that but i've played all of the others that they have and they're all available on their website you can both do the physical versions or the print and plays and they're all cheap relatively speaking like the other ones that i've discussed before the cupid crisis is an escape room style game it is made up of 18 cards front and back 
And then you also utilize the Grand Gamers Guild website to enter the solutions to puzzles. And it also has the timer on there. And you're just going through these cards and solving puzzles. And the puzzles vary in their type. Some of them are logic. Some of them involve the physical cards themselves that you have to do things with. And then in the app where you put in the clues, they also have a bunch of information. And this has been relevant to a bunch of their games. Most escape room games say you do not need outside information to play this game. Grand Gamers Guild actually does something a little different. And they say, if you don't know X, it's probably on the website. And so for instance, they have things like Morse code and other like not super common, like commonly known, but not like braille, things like that, that not everybody would know. They have a whole bunch of those on their website and they don't tell you which ones you'll need in any given escape room. You have to figure that out for yourself. But like at a certain point, you're looking at something and you're like, wait a second. And they do also put clues in the puzzles themselves to help direct you to what you need to be looking for. And this one involved a specific piece of information that I definitely didn't have knowledge about and needed the the app's help with, but I still had to solve the puzzle using the information they gave me. I have to say, honestly, I still continue to be very impressed with these games. They don't seem to repeat the same style of puzzle in any noticeable ways. They come up with new and creative ways to use the 18 cards. And it does. It takes, you know, it's an hour long escape room experience that you can play by yourself or with others. I played this with my boyfriend and we finished in a little over 50 minutes, I believe. So these cost in America, at least, I don't know if they are available outside of the States, but any given one costs about $11 and you can actually get a discount if you buy multiple at the same time. Considering physical escape rooms nowadays, sometimes cost what like 20 30 40 dollars a person this is a really economical way to play an escape room game and the puzzles are good and you can literally fit it in your pocket like there's kind of no downsides i really enjoy these and the cupid crisis lives up to the rest of them that i've played so i would definitely recommend it yeah and you said there's print and play so that would be available international probably right oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so yeah the print and play ones are it looks like 550 so they're basically half the price so you get mm-hmm. and since it is only 18 cards you would have to be able to print front and back i believe mm-hmm. or okay. you know glue or tape things together i will say i haven't played any of these print and play but the physicality of the cards is used in multiple puzzles mm-hmm. throughout the series and so if you are not someone who is super meticulous about how you make a print and play game it might make things more difficult I I don't know for certain, but I think it might be a little bit more difficult to complete some of the puzzles if, like, you don't have a good printer or if you don't Mm -hmm. cut things out very well. So just take that into account. I would just recommend picking up the games themselves if you can and gift these. Oh my gosh, there's a Christmas one. There's a Halloween one. There's a 4th of July one. Throw this into somebody's stocking at Christmas time. They're just perfect gifts. I don't know. I love them and I'm not going to stop shouting about them. Y'all will hear me talk about the birthday one eventually, probably. So that is the cupid crisis escape room game from grand gamers guild designed by jonathan chaffer i still need to try these you would like them i think i watched your stream of the holiday one i think you you streamed one of them right yeah yeah and and these are definitely you know they're not on the super difficult side of escape room games i think you would find them relatively easy but like i still think they're super interesting yeah yeah. and also you're just very smart so (laughs) (laughs) but it's still fun yeah (laughs) 
Shout out to Simon Callahan, Vinkman's assistant on Twitter, for giving us the idea for this episode. He tweeted when I asked for ideas for themes for upcoming episodes, the most creative box a game has come in. He was prompted by a recent play of Canvas, which literally comes in a box that you can hang on your wall. First off, I've played Canvas, but it was a friend's copy and I did not know that. So that was cool to learn. And then second, I was kind of surprised, Amby, that I don't think we've actually talked, had an episode about boxes. Yeah, I don't think we have. (laughs) I mean, now that I've said that out loud, it sounds silly because why would you do an episode about boxes? But... But, 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 this is actually a really interesting topic with a lot of more more nuance than I think mm-hmm. most people would expect at first glance. <laughs> yeah. Because there's, I mean, <laughs> it just sounds funny. There's a lot in a board game box. <laughs> <laughs> No, but no, we're going to actually talk about them seriously. No, we are. It's like, <laughs> boxes are not just the things that hold the components of a board game. Yes, they mm-hmm. do that, but they do a lot of other things too. Mm-hmm. And there's a, probably a lot of thought that goes into choosing the type of box you're going to have, the size, the materials, the design. Also, like, cover art, which is going to be completely different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Probably outside of the scope of this this podcast episode. but Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, like, there are a lot of different factors that come into play in making a box. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. there's durability, how it's mm-hmm. going to hold up over time. There's the marketability of a thing, yeah. because board Absolutely. games are intended to be sold. And often, mm-hmm. when people buy things, they look at the packaging, and that is mm-hmm. what theoretically compels them to either pick up the box and look at it or keep walking. And I know a lot of us have done less in-person shopping since the pandemic started, but I will say I have definitely walked through friendly local game stores and seen really cool box art. And it has Mm -hmm. instantly made me more curious about the game inside the box. Mm -hmm. And then there's also like with marketability is like the same size as previous boxes of that type of game kind of. So like all of the exit boxes are the same size and same look. And so the Cosmos two player line, that's an example, like all of those are like the same smaller box. And so, you know, kind of, okay, this is another two player small box game. Aaliyah has done that with some of their games as well, I believe. Like they have a series Mm -hmm. of games, right? That come in a certain size of box. Probably. Like, I think think this is common, right? Having a series of games that come come in the same size box. That's an interesting thing, though, because do you think publishers have to make sacrifices regarding the games themselves once they've kind of boxed themselves in to a specific (laughs) box size? Maybe. So, like, I remember watching, I think I've mentioned this before, but I watched, like, a documentary on Oink Games. And so Oink Games is famous for having the small (laughs) box size. All their games fit in this tiny box. And I think the first game they made, he designed the box to fit the pieces perfectly. And then, like, after that, they just used that same box size for everything. And so, like, then it's more like designing the games to fit in the box, maybe. I'm not sure. They now have, like, a couple of different box sizes. They have one that's, like, twice the size of that box and then one that's, like, smaller. So maybe they've they've had to expand their box sizes because of some other games. <laughs> and I imagine that that's a tough decision for them to make, yeah. too, because, you know, when people get used to a certain thing, like, all yeah. of my Oink games are all on the same shelf, all stacked mm-hmm. up on each other, and mm-hmm. they look really nice. And I think yeah. that helps, especially for, like, smaller footprint games. Mm-hmm. For instance, I like the Paco game games the ones that are basically Mm -hmm. like a pack of gum. 
but those are so small that I kind of lose track of them. Like, I don't know where they are most of the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, mine, yeah, I know I have them, but the Oink games, there's enough of them now, or I bought enough of them, that now, since I stack them all together, I always know where they mm-hmm. are. But yeah. inevitably, I do sometimes throw smaller games into a bag and then, like, forget that they're there. <laughs> I guess the button-shy ones are also small and come in a wallet. Right. Oh yeah, that's true. I, I try and keep those together, but I inevitably end up splitting them up and regretting it. <laughs> that brings up a really good point because the button shy games don't come in a box. They come in a yeah. wallet, a plastic mm-hmm. wallet. Obviously, cardboard boxes seem to be the standard and the most mm-hmm. common way for board games to come. But there are other things. Some games come in a metal tin, like mm-hmm. the Forbidden Island series yeah. of games. Abandon All Artichokes comes in a little artichoke-shaped oh, uh-huh. tin. Yeah, cute. <laughs> yeah, and I own a dexterity game called Suspend from Melissa mm-hmm. and Doug, who are more known for making toys than games. Mm-hmm. But it comes in a plastic tube, and the, the plastic mm-hmm. is see-through. Yeah. So you can actually see the components of the game through the packaging, which I, honestly I think helps it. Like if it was mm-hmm. an opaque tube and you just saw suspend on the side, I think you would be like, what is this? But you can look yeah. and see all the like metal pieces that are all zigzaggy and be like, ooh, this looks interesting. Mm-hmm. I think pickup sticks also sometimes comes in a <laughs> clear plastic tube. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't really seen it. <laughs> You're not while, looking on but... the game shelves for pickup <laughs> yeah. sticks. Yeah. But uh, talking about non-box shapes, I have a game called Cheeky Monkey, which I've mentioned before, that there, there is a version that comes in a box, but my version comes in a stuffed monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Like, which is very it, cute yeah yeah so it looks like a stuffed animal monkey but it opens up in the bag b- back and it's the bag that you use to draw the chips out because the game is like a press your luck drawing chips out so it's not as nice as drawing out of a bag but it's very cute there are some other lightweight games that do similar mm-hmm. things the one of the earlier editions of happy salmon literally came in a fabric salmon that you can zip the unzip the back of and pull all the components out and the salmon is not used during gameplay at all it's Mm -hmm. just for aesthetic purposes and i know happy salmon is now being published by a different company and they've put it in a box i think that does it a disservice yeah like truthfully (laughs) if i see a box with happy salmon and maybe a fish on the cover or i see a cloth fish sitting on the shelf i'm Mm -hmm. more interested in what that fish is yeah and that fits well with like the gameplay too, because it's like a lighthearted, fun party game, right? So right. having having a fish on the shelf that's like, okay, what? This is silly. And the Absolutely. game is silly. <laughs> it, the game is very silly, for sure. I know something that a lot of gamers complain about or have complained about in the past and probably mm-hmm. still do is games that come in the wrong size of box. <laughs> and this can go both directions. Mm-hmm. I've seen where people, once the, all the components have been punched and bagged and whatnot, like the lid will barely close on mm-hmm. some games. And you're like, or wait, sleeved how? sleeved cards. Oh yeah, sleeved <laughs> yeah. cards is also another issue there. But I've also heard the opposite problem where mm-hmm. once everything's punched and bagged and you put it in there, there's, you know, the box is 75% air at that point. And you're just like, why is the box so big? Well, I think we already talked about like marketing for some of that, like the box Absolutely. shelf presence. And then also... I think big boxes make you think of a more big board game experience. So if you're trying to go for like a game that has a lot of meat to it and like a lengthy game and more like thought to the game, then they try to put a bigger box, even if there's not as many components, maybe just so like the box conveys 
that it's a big game. <laughs> yeah. I would actually be curious if you basically made two versions of the same game, mm-hmm. same components, same artwork on all sides of the box, but one box is bigger and one box is smaller. And you, you know, this would be some weird, very, very weird focus group. You would <laughs> take people and, you know, have them look, have a uh, group look at the larger box and a group look at the smaller box and get their impressions about what this game what is, how game long is? it takes yeah. to play. And even if the weight was technically, you know, about the same because the components are the same, mm-hmm. I wonder if looking at that larger box would give people different impressions about the game. Yeah, I wonder. One thing about box size is, I think I mentioned this before, but when I went to Japan and looked at the game stores there, there were games that I recognized. So they had like Japanese versions of games that we know, and then they had smaller boxes there. So in Japan, they like smaller box sizes because houses, like rooms and stuff are smaller. They don't have as much space. So they like the small box size, which is part of why Oink games are small. right? So like everything there is small boxes. And so I saw games that I knew like, I have like, oh, this big Catan or something. It's like a small box there. Like, oh, interesting. It's still bigger than their other games because a lot of their games are card games. But yeah, it was smaller than I was used to, which was interesting. That is interesting. But I think another reason for the big box sizes or like too big or too small maybe is because I think with manufacturing, it's probably easier to do one type of box size or like they have set box sizes probably. I don't actually know, but I think I've heard people say this and it makes sense that manufacturers would have like templates for these certain box sizes. And so they know they have this box size or this box size and you can pick one or the other, not like you can't just like make your own or that would be a lot more pricey. Right, it's gonna be more expensive. Like if you're going with a specific manufacturer and they make a certain size of box, (laughs) maybe you haven't made that active decision to put these few components in a large box. Maybe that's just what they gave you as an option. And (laughs) so you did it. Yeah, it's a little bit too many components for their smaller size box. And so it goes up (laughs) four times as big. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely possible. (laughs) So we talked about earlier, we talked about shelf presence, like in Mm -hmm. a game store. But what information do you want to see on a box? Let's say whether you're looking Mm -hmm. at it online or on a shelf at a game store, you only have the box to go off of. What information do you want to see on it? I want to see player count, age, time which is like on most of the boxes. And then I would like to have like a picture of, of the game, either like being played or set up or something. That is a great point. And it's something that I feel like board game publishers have mostly moved away from in the past yeah. few decades. Because if you look at board games from like the 80s and 90s, <laughs> it is often the dorkiest looking family <laughs> yeah, or group of kids. <laughs> and they're sitting at the table playing the game. And like, yes, it's dorky, but you can see what the game looks like when it's all set yeah. up. And that honestly can give you a really good idea of what the experience might be like. Mm-hmm. And so let's bring back dorky family photos on the back of board game boxes, well, I mean, y'all. It doesn't have to be dorky. I mean, I think it should be. <laughs> it depends on the game. Yeah, that's true. It's a dorky family playing like 18xx. <laughs> I mean, hey, you, you know, the Dorkinsons really like 18xx games. But no, I think you are correct. I like seeing at least what the board and the components kind mm-hmm. of look like on the back. So I have an idea of that. And I also like some kind of synopsis on yeah, the box of either the story or the mechanisms or both but like I need either some of the flavor or what I'm getting into because I have bought games before and then got them home and opened them up and realized that they weren't what I expected them to be and that doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. mean they were bad but 
some boxes give you a false impression of what the experience will be like inside of them. Yeah. Well, nowadays, usually when I'm at the store, I like I'll take a box and I look at the back immediately because like the front usually doesn't have much information. So I look at like the back because that's where if they have a picture of the game, that's where it'll be. <laughs> and then that's also where the synopsis is. And then if that's not enough, then I look it up on More Game Geek <laughs> and read it there. But yeah. I guess since since people have most people have access to the internet all the time now and so it's like maybe that's why people don't have pictures of the game being played on the box as much i suppose but i think especially if you have a larger box i mean if you've got a really small box i get it you don't have the space for something like that but if you've got the real estate (laughs) and speaking of how useful a box can be there are actually some games that utilize the box in gameplay Oh, yeah. I have a lot of these now. (laughs) So, so yeah, a lot of children's games use the boxing gameplay. I think I mentioned Hammer Time last episode or something, a couple episodes ago. Pretty pretty recently. Yeah, but that's a dexterity game where you're knocking gems off of the bottom of the box. So you have the box flipped over and all the gems are piled on top and you're using a hammer to hit the box. So it uses the box. And then there's other kids' games that, like, use the box. You're putting things into the box and tidy up and, and hungry as a bear, like... And they have like 3D things that they build using the box. <laughs> so like, yeah, a lot of children's games end up using the box. But there are some non-children's games that also use the box. Oh, yeah. Niagara is an yeah, example Ni- of yeah. one. Like the waterfall comes off mm-hmm. of the box itself. And honestly, I think the best example of a game that utilizes its box in the best way is Ice Cool. I oh, yeah. love Ice Cool and how it mm-hmm. like has stacking boxes inside yeah, of one another. Cool. And you pull them all out and it makes this giant arena, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's bigger than you would expect, right? Like, it's neat. And then you're flicking penguins all over the place. Yeah. That's really cool how that fits in the box because because it's just stocking boxes. But then it ends up being four times as big as the box, the the actual box. And it's it's easy to assemble. They do a good job of, like, showing you how to assemble Mm -hmm. it, too. Like, it's really intuitive. I'm Mm -hmm. honestly... And I I don't think their newest game has come out yet, but it's like a multi-tiered kind of a thing. And I'm very curious to see what that box and the components look like and how easy that will be to assemble. I don't remember what it's called, though. I want to say it has something to do with the forest, but I don't know. Yeah, I think you're correct, but I can't remember. I feel like it's green, but... I feel like it's green, too! (laughs) Iron Forest! Oh! Nice! Yeah, but like you literally are catapulting things up onto the second level yeah. in that one. So so yeah, just looking at the mock-up of the box, it looks a lot thicker, but I don't know how it's going to work. <laughs> I definitely want to try that one out at some point. So we talked about having extra space inside the box and how that can mm-hmm. be annoying if there's a lot of you know air that's not filled. But there are reasons why that might be beneficial. And if you are a person who likes to buy expansions to games, Mm. then that actually can become usable space later. Because if Mm. a publisher makes the box the perfect size for the base game and then releases expansions, now you have to keep multiple boxes to have everything. And I will admit, I get annoyed by that. If I have expansions to a game, I really like most of the time to be able to put everything in a single box. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think more time there's leftover space in a box than not because there's the insert that takes up space. Unless they have like a really nice insert that you keep. Most of the time I just end up getting rid of the insert and then there's a lot of space in the box. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah so then space for expansion stuff I, I don't actually get many expansions but i've tried to slow down on the expansions i guess i have one a bunch of expansions for slash point fire rescue and those aren't gonna those don't all fit in the box because they have like a bunch of extra boards now <laughs> and so that takes up too much space for the most part i think the expansions that i do have fit in the box which is like very few expansions <laughs> <laughs> Well, we would love to hear from you all what your thoughts are on board game boxes. What's your favorite board game box? What's the mm. most interesting box you've ever seen? Or I guess container is probably a better term because <laughs> yeah. chances are the most interesting one will be something more like Cheeky Monkey where it's not a box at all. Yeah. So if you've seen some interesting containers for board games, hit us up on social media or our Board Game Geek Guild and let us know. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Try to survive the apocalypse and profits of doom, coming to crowdfunding later this year. And don't forget, Blitzketeers get 20% off non-exclusive items at GreyFoxGames.com by using the code GFGBLITZ2022 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community for game nights and more on Discord by following the link in the show notes. Leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or Spotify to help others find our show. And if you want to listen to our uncut audio and get an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support was provided by Toby Mao. Until next time, and be a game box hero. Got me balls in his eyes. Bye, everyone. Bye. And that's it for this week. <laughs> and that's it for this week's board game blitz. Visit our web. <laughs> Why can't I speak? <laughs> <laughs>